0: opportunity to praise you we are going to lift you up in this place and only you and we thank you lord for the honor and the privilege of coming into your holy presence that you have made us able to be here we are so grateful and thankful for it and we bless you we love you lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen So I thought we'd talk a little bit today about how God fights for us. He fights for us. Amen? Uh, You are not an orphan. You are not here alone. You are not a victim. You are not a pushover. You are not any of those things. But you are loved and you are honored. You are protected. You are a treasured person. And I think we have to let that sink in a little bit because often we don't think of ourselves that way. We. Think of ourselves as us, I guess. I don't know. It varies every day, you know, depending on what side of the bed you get up on and what. How do you feel today? Do you feel anointed? Do you not feel anointed? Do you feel important? Do you not? You know. So anyway, but uh, 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 it's just good to always know uh, that the Lord does fight for us. Uh, In Exodus chapter fourteen, trying to find the scripture. Yeah. In verse 25, let me see where I want to start. Verse 22, 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Now when God fights for us He doesn't just wake our enemies up And jump on them We have to do in some way Confront the enemy You have to put up the, the standard Of his word Amen So he, he God The devil it really Well he is God's enemy But he's always been defeated From the beginning He can never never match for God But then he transferred his anger And animosity on to us because we're made in God's image. So he fights everything that's like God. That includes us. But God said, because you know me and you love me, I'll fight for you. So you don't have to be concerned about the enemy. And What I'll say, I'll say it this way. The concern that we have should be more to cultivate the godlikeness in us more than worry about what the devil's doing if that makes sense to us because you have no defense for him outside of God so it's best to stay focused on uh, we're not ignorant of his devices the bible says that you know the devil when when you smell him when you see him if you if you doubt it's God it is the devil you can pretty much make book on that but but we have to cultivate the character of Christ in us and our god likeness and and uh, develop in God's God, and keep focused on that much more so than the characteristics of the devil or activities of the devil the steal kill and destroy his missions real simple and it's an art how to find out when he's active and involved in things and so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea he did this in obedience to God. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea dry and the waters were divided. And so God like took a big blow dryer and blew it, <laughs> blew it in the ocean and dried up all the bottom of the ocean to the sand. Now think about how deep that might have been for people to even, you know, kind of descend into that. You just you just think about the faith that it took for them to get in the midst of it. Of course, faith is, is not activated until we step out into the arena, you know, of battle. And so what's... What are you more afraid of? I guess we put it that way. You see the Egyptians advancing on them, following them. And here you've got two walls of water on either side. And it seems to be drying up on the bottom. So what you have is pressure from from behind you and the uncertainty in front of you. And see, faith will cause you to go to the uncertainty in front of you. Because God is guiding you there. See, the pressure from behind is going to force you to make that decision. So that's all it's there for. Is is it brings you to a point of decision. Now, I've got to do something. What can I do? If I stay here, I know what's going to happen. If I advance... Not quite sure, but there's a possibility. I might make it, (laughs) especially if God reassures you. Now, God knows what it takes to reassure us. He's so merciful he didn't just make the water part for a couple minutes it stayed that way for hours like all night long so they sat there and they watched or someone went to sleep for a while when they woke up it was still parted it was dry where they had to walk it wasn't dangerous and all they had to do was keep advancing forward because what was behind was was no good. They had left destruction behind them in Egypt. Well, they didn't do it. Their God did it. Think about all the plagues. Now all the firstborn of Egypt are dying that night. They've already taken everything that their neighbors owned, all the wealth and all the riches of Egypt This has been given to them. And so they've spoiled. There's, no, there's nothing left for them in Egypt anymore. And, and we have to understand that when you come into God's kingdom, you left a trail of destruction behind you. Huh? Okay, yeah. There's people that's looking for you because you owe them money or you've jilted them or, they, you know, whatever huh for me it was the patient number whoever did I leave them on a bedpan and not take them off huh? <laughs> so you know there's nothing really you want to go back to amen the problem is getting us far enough away from you know, our old Egyptian lifestyle, for us to lose the flavor of it in our mouths. Because you know how sometimes, remember um, uh, Achan, the guy that when, when they did the Battle of Jericho, he saw some nice looking Babylonian garments and hit them. Amen. Well, that's what we all do. We've got little Babylonian stuff in our hearts that we hide from everybody else. We go and check in on it and nurse it every now and then. Old memories we like to store and old things we used to do. An old boyfriend or old girlfriend. you married. No, you ain't supposed to be thinking about nobody else. You do it anyway. Those are the hidden things in our hearts that that feed and nurture us. They'll feed that, that root of iniquity in us. And keep it fit And sometimes we wonder how we get caught up in stuff And you think about Think about your thought life Where that goes when you don't put a check on it You know are there things hidden And stored from your old life In Egypt that you refuse To let go of and you just Go and check in on them and nurse them They're little treasures that we hold on to That we really need to renounce And and make room for God To take more Because he's going to come for that That's going to get exposed some point because he's coming for a bride without spot, wrinkle or little uh, dirty treasures hidden in their heart little things they want to do that, that they doubt and know they're not pleasing to God. And so God wants to Purify us and, and cleanse us of all of that. And so when we when we say goodbye to Egypt, it's because there's nothing there worth having anymore. There's nothing in the world that you should desire, and you're gonna have to fight to stay purified from the world. Um, I, I've seen this over and over again. People who are are endeavoring to commit to God they always wind up with some friend a carnal friend they just can't let go of you understand that carnality likes being fed it doesn't want to just die like it's supposed to like God's ordained it to die it likes to stay fed I can remember people coming through this ministry. There was always somebody, if it was somebody that quit coming, it was because they had a friend or an associate that was not part of what we were doing that always kind of fed either an insecurity or a lie or something God was trying to deliver them from. And they just felt they were right and the other person was wrong and they had to hold on to it. And all that kind of stuff, you know, and you you can be, I mean, you know, many times I've been fooled. I'm assuming those people had disconnected a long time ago, and you find out they still talking to them, still gotta, still gotta catch up with. It. And eventually, you have to make the decision to disconnect from that, or you will find yourself being swept up in it because God will not share you with anybody. I'm gonna tell you right now, He is not. In the sharing business He is a jealous God When he purchases something He possesses it and so we have to realize your life really isn't your own life. Like, we, we try to fool ourselves into thinking we do what we want to do when we want to do it. And you really can't. You you might as well give in and go on and serve God and, and live a happy and a, a holy and a joy-filled life. And so Moses then is able to, to use his faith, stretching out his hand. Sometimes that's all the faith you need is to do one maneuver in God and then it, it kind of snowballs and and from that one motion on Moses' part this whole nation crossed over, the, over defeated the Egyptian army Pharaoh's horses and chariots were in a, tossed into the sea consumed by the water chosen captains drowned the whole thing And so he stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on the right and on the left. Amen. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. Even all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen, and it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire, and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And so after Moses stretched out his hand to open the sea, he stretched out his hand again, and the sea closed up on them, so they could not get out. Like So God really has your enemy trapped. Whenever you think you're in danger, it's really a trap for your enemy. You got me? You see? See, we're never... We are saved, delivered, healed, transformed, all of that. We are never in danger and never in jeopardy. Is this the enemy wants you to think that? He wants you to think that. He wants you to believe that he can do something to you. Well, unless you've been spending all morning worshiping him, he can't do nothing to you. You've been worshiping God. You've been serving God. You've been in your words. You've been doing what you know you to do to keep your relationship right. There's nothing the devil can do to you. The closer he comes to you, the more ensnared he is. And it doesn't depend on you doing everything right all the time. It just depends on you doing what God tells you to do. Huh? David was a mighty man of war he never lost a battle did he do everything right when he's supposed to be at war he's looking at some other man's wife and then had the husband killed you got me this this, is nonsense the way Christians go through uh, this and then we we take on all this guilt and and then we wind up doing exactly what we fear we were going to do and the devil kind of tries to prove to us see yeah, i told you were no good you didn't know how to do this yeah <coughs> So we have to learn how to keep ourselves focused in God. Just stay close to Him. Stay in His face, stay in His lap, stay in wherever you gotta stay to stay close to God, you stay there. So the Lord fights for us. Now, there are different things that he does in the fight. You you have to know what to expect God to do. I think to a certain degree, you just can't say, "Well, God's got it," or "God's got me," or he's because the devil will just play with your head all day long and get you to be fearful instead of being confident. So there are certain levels of the fight. I, I, this is what I call it, and, and level one is divine protection. And you can write these down because it's important to understand how to expect God to come. You know, you say, well, suppose the devil does this. No, divine protection takes care of that. Number two is divine strategy. You've got to understand some things about God so you'll know what to expect. Number three is divine power. You are not powerless. You are powerful. Number four is divine counsel. C O U N S E L. That means the, uh, wisdom and, and discussion to help you get understanding. Divine courage is the other one. And then divine recovery. So you go from protection to total recovery. When you have to get involved in this fight, it is so that God has an instrument of faith to use on your behalf. So really God is using your faith. He's not using anything else pertinent to you. So nothing else is is at stake. You don't have to risk losing all your you're losing your home or losing your children or you losing anything amen god will give you everything that you need the bible tells us that the earth belongs to god the earth is the lord and everything in it so we are his heirs we are heirs of all things amen it also tells us that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So they're already given by his spirit that dwells in us. So in the Holy Ghost that you push in a corner or <laughs> let him live sometimes, however we treat God that lives within, we can all do better. I can do better too. But they are already given by the Holy Spirit. They got stolen because of iniquity. Iniquity really perverts what we have, who we are, and how we use what we have. So iniquity causes us to lose what we have. Things that we we used to possess were lost, but not forever. They're not gone forever. We need to know that we're redeemed from Satan's power and from his kingdom rule. So now we can freely receive what belongs to us. You can freely receive it. Not a pinch at a time or inch by inch, but freely. How, how often, however often you need God for something, you can receive freely from Him. Amen? So we're going to look first at divine protection in 2 Kings chapter 6 if you'll turn there 2 Kings 6 And this is uh, Elisha uh, the prophet who stood in Elijah's room as they say but he was successor uh, to Elijah by God's command so God has an orderliness about his kingdom. He knows how to prepare the next generation and how to bring all of that into uh, being that needs to be brought into being. 2 uh, Kings 6. <clears throat> uh, let me see. Why don't we start in verse 8. The king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants saying, in such and such a place, that's where I'm going to be my camp. So here the enemy, we we hear of the enemy having his own strategy against Israel or against God's people. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel saying, beware. When you go to such a place that the Syrians are going to be there. <laughs> so here we have the man of God being privy to the secret plans of the enemy. Hello, Amen. servant of God. You are privy to the secret plans of the enemy. Amen. Learn how to press in until you get understanding of what's going on. Now, this isn't for some people. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And so he says, beware that you go there. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice, but again and again and again. Don't be shocked, alarmed, and caught up in your flesh because God does something for you. It should not be a one-time occurrence. It should be a continual, every day, living with God thing. This has to be something that we know uh, is a policy with God. It's a statute. It's an ordinance. If he's going to fight for you, he's going to fight for you all the time. He's not going to do it just when you're feeling nice and not naughty. He's going to do it all of the time so try to feel nice all the time and stay out of naughty because how you think how you view yourself Amen. Amen. if you feel like a hockey puck today you know what i'm saying you'll get pushed around and <laughs> banged on your head and skated on top of and everything but if you feel like a mighty person of valor you begin to to declare that over yourself, then you'll go forward in mighty power. Amen. You know there, you can turn that aspect of your faith on, turn on your supernatural faith, or you can believe your you know chopped liver for the day. So you have to have to let your faith and your image of yourself line up with what God thinks. But know that if He did it once, huh? He'll do it over and over again. Just like uh, I was, was talking to my husband about something and, and uh, he just got, he used to try to get the last word, you know, be smart. You know how people are, just talk. And uh, I remember him telling me one time, he said, I never give nobody all my money. And I said, oh, there's more. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's always, <laughs> always be on the lookout for that advantage that you can get and expect to con- Continual blessing. So once you find out God did it for you one time, it's like, oh, this gonna happen every time I get into this kind of jam. You understand what I'm saying? Understand when you've tapped into divine wisdom. Understand when you've tapped into power. Understand when you've tapped into understanding amen where you you've got the faith for certain things to happen that's and, and that's probably the best way to look at it if it happened for you once that means the faith is there and faith is a continual it just doesn't come on you and leave and come on you and leave amen your faith tends to increase We are living in an uh, an increase in the fruit of the Spirit. So your faith can increase and your faith can abound. So if you had the faith for it once, you got the faith for it in you somewhere for it to happen again. So don't ever doubt it. The enemy loves the. Talk us out of God taking care of us. We, we want to make it like a big thing and a big deal. And, and it's supposed to be every day. It's supposed to be a continual thing. A blessed thing. It says, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Now here it starts trouble in the enemy's camp. And this is how how God operates. He allows the enemy to start to turn on each other and distrust one another when he moves. Because that's how that works. The world cannot help but turn on each other. Because they're dealing in the natural. You know, nobody thinks, you know, God would tell somebody, well, who's God? Where did he come from? Who invited him to the party? So heathens are always thinking that they do what they do outside the, the realm of God. They don't think God's there. And, and and certainly not that he would do anything to them or care what's going on. So they think, you know, is just the world is here and everything that they could see. They don't think about the supernatural. And one of his servants said, none, my lord king but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. so it's not like God's hiding his influence from anybody or wants to hide it from anybody he makes it known so God draws him out and says yes me Amen. What you going to do about it? Amen? So God continually diverts the attention away from his servants and back onto him. Man, for your protection at some point people that pick at you know they picking at God because they'll say mean things to you and immediately feel bad about it and and then they want to blame you for making them feel bad and they can't get rid of that bad feeling and they so that's God's all over them he's not letting you take the heat for anything that he does through you And he said, go and spy where he is, that I'm going to send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore, the king sent horses, chariots, a great host. See, when people know it's God that they're fighting, they're going to send the biggest and the best of everything that they have against you. You're going to know that. You know, and all you're doing is trying to pray for somebody who's sick or pass out bread to some broke people and all hell tries to break loose against you. And he says he sent all of those chariots and came by night and compassed the city. So while we sleep, the enemy creeps in. It's always true. It's always true. It's not that you can't go to sleep. Go to sleep and take a good nap. You know, sleep well. Because God never slumbers nor sleeps. So God's up all night. So why should you be up too? Amen. Huh? Amen. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. When you get scared, you get stupid. So the first thing you want to do, and this is, this is biblical, throughout the Bible, you will see this admonition to people who are serving God. And it's not like you've got to pretend like something's not wrong. But what he is saying is don't let fear feed you right now. Don't let fear be your focus. Don't let fear because there is an answer for us that is good. I don't care what it looks like. There is an answer for you that is good. That's why you don't give in to fear. Fear will make you act out and be stupid. You know, it'll make you, fear tends to to stir up uh, similar Emotions, You know, um, anger, disappointment, rejection All of those things will get stirred up because of fear And you want to stir up God's spirit to help you So that's why you fear not You put that away because that's not going to help you What's going to help you is trusting God through this thing So you put fear away Uh, uh, Even in in the New Testament, Philippians 4, I think it's 4.19, it tells you, uh, let your requests be made known to God and his peace will guard your heart and mind. You've got to have his peace or you can't know when he's coming. You'll think it's the devil if you stay in fear. Everything will be wrong and you'll find yourself fighting people, telling them off, getting stupid and getting upset, all because of fear. We all have to overcome it. Amen. We all have to. And so uh, he says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more, more, more. You have the greater one. You have the more. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The enemy is always smaller in number. He just has to, he's, spreading himself out that's why he looks you ever seen there's something I forget I think maybe it's the the blowfish but he he deceives his enemies by blowing himself up and making himself look a lot bigger than what he has has all the skin that expands real big he's like look at me
1: look at me I love you
0: and some little fish with quills will stick a quill in, or all the air comes out, or whatever. But everybody has those, uh, or or opossums. You know, they know how to. They they. Uh, Foam at the mouth. If they're attacked and they go into fear mode, we had—I had some <laughs> possums on our property one time. I was so upset with myself. I was putting—I thought I was putting bread out for the—I don't know—some little critters. I—I I, I thought I'd never thought it would be wild animals coming up. To eat. I thought it was for the birds, you know. And I got all this bread out there, so this possum starts coming up on the on the deck, and he's looking, you know. And I went to let, that was when we lived in Detroit with a girlfriend, and I let girlfriend out to go pinky poo-poo. And um, she uh, was out there, and she confronted this possum, and this thing was, and I screamed, and I don't know, it was a mess, a hot mess. So then we called them animal control people, and the guy was, he thought he was very amused and he looked at the tracks. It was that night he had a flashlight. He said, oh, decent. He said, I think I'll lay a trap for him. You know, it's like, he thought was like, he was going to play me off like, you know, it's just a, a rat or something like that. But, he thought it was a real possum and so uh, then, then it gets on the, the, the family grape line and you know all this is All them things are dangerous. You know, people try to put fear in you and and so I I went online and, and looked up possums and I was looking at it and I said, Well we didn't get half as much entertainment out that possum as we should have got He's supposed to play dead and roll over and roll. let his old eyes roll in the back of his head and foam at the mouth. We didn't get none of that for our money. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but, you know, that's, that's what they do. They pretend to be very deadly to animals so they won't eat them. Because if an animal sees another animal foaming at the mouth, they fear rabies or something. They they like to kill you fresh instead of getting to something dead already and feeding off that. That's what the birds feed off of you know vultures and stuff like that so anyway the possible roll over and play dead and hopefully nobody will mess with him but I think he was so scared of me and I was scared of him and my dog you better
1: hurt my dog
0: (laughs) all that stuff so you know I think Brenda Zetlitz was here and she said and she said well I never in all my life saw someone? somewhere (laughs) I used to think that was for us country folks up here in the city and all this going on so it was just, it was too much. But anyway, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, when the enemy does that to survive, he pretends to be bigger, more dangerous, all of that, than what he really is. And that's why the prophet tells the the um, servant or the learning prophet, trainee, not to be afraid. And so many times, uh, and you'll find that with prophets, they're very direct and very definitive in what they tell you to do because life and death will depend on it sometimes. See, we don't see things in, in drastic terms like that. We always say, hey, it's not that important. It'll be all right. You know, we're too casual about things, and prophets not only see what's happening now they see what it can lead to down the road and many times that's why they don't bite their tongue warning you and you know will tell you no, you got to stop that now you're you're going to go too far in a little bit and it's not going to be good for you and people don't listen to you and they keep keep it up and pretty soon they paid a heavy price for these things because they've been deceived into thinking they'll never never um, draw penalty for for, be, for disobedience and so for a prophet, diso- fear is disobedient that's why I look at it you know God tells you not to fear you suck it up and keep it moving you know don't don't let fear grip you because you can hide in the spirit and not experience fear you can hide right under the cleft of the rock and it's not be yours and so you don't have to fight to get rid of fear and pretend it's not there. You just yield to God. You say, Thank you, Jesus, I will not fear. Hide me under your shadow and allow the spirit of God's protection to come on you. Now, it's going to be hard to do if your mind's programmed to be scared all the time. You're going to have somewhat of a renewed mind to be able to do this. Now, back under the old covenant, they didn't have that. So the prophet would just get a servant who knew how to obey him and tuck underneath him when it was time when it was difficult you know Uh, and and many times people find shelter under other people's faith you know that's not unusual and so you get under the umbrella of their faith and, and hide out until you can develop some of your own you know and so that's that's the way the kingdom is built so we all have that protection. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, Elisha was familiar with this level of divine protection, or he wouldn't have said, he was familiar with it. That's why he told God to open this guy's eyes, because his words wouldn't convince him. You got me? There are times when your words will not convince people and you have to ask God to show them. Ask God to tell them. Not show them, you know, they better quit messing with me. (laughs) You know, God, show them. No, God begins to reveal himself to people. So that they can understand who God is. You know, and in a good way. It's all, not always God, get them, sick them, God. They mess it with your you, Amen. Whatever. And so when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. Uh, oh, the Lord opened the eyes and he saw a mountain was full of horses, chariots, and fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite these people with blindness. And he did, according to the word of Elisha. Now, Elisha's not... Being mean and vindictive. He's protecting himself and his servant and the message. This is what you got to understand. You're as valuable as what you're doing for God. I Me, mean, I mean, he loves you and all that, but don't try to get out on a limb and think God's going to fight everybody for you and you're not doing anything. God gives you a ministry and a message an anointing he'll protect that which he has entrusted to you got me? not that you're not valuable but part of your value lies in the gift calling and obedience to it because that's what's going to get you in trouble is your gift call and your obedience to it so he has to pull you out to preserve that message and preserve what you're doing. So he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, neither is this the city, follow me. And I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And he opened their eyes and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, No. But you're going to show them mercy. Amen. They were led blindly, taken captive. by. They were just being obedient to their king. And you're going to show them mercy. So they took them and they fed them and and did all of those things for them to show them that they served a God of mercy as well. Amen. You get somebody captive, what do you do? And so they prepared provision for them. And and uh, they they uh, live to fight another day. Amen. That was God's gift to them. Sometimes God's looking for people that He can reveal Himself to. He's not just always trying to hurt everybody that hurts His people. He wants them to know Him as well. Amen. You see that many times, when Israel would go to war, it said that they may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. That they may know that this. So God's constantly revealing. Himself to people, man. People may hate you for a season, but God still wants to reveal Himself to those people. Mm-hmm. So, and this is uh, example number one: divine protection. Those who are with us, with us, are always more than those who are with them. You need to know that Satan was only able to take a third of the angels with him. Because the rest of them were loyal to, to their leader. Lucifer was an archangel. We know that. It appears that he was assigned to Jesus. That's why Jesus had to come to earth and redeem mankind. Because his servant got away. So a lot of this great plan of salvation has to do with him finishing the job. And then taking care of bringing his servant under control. man. And so uh, the other two archangels are assigned to the Holy Ghost and to the Father, Amen. Yeah? Okay, so um, so anyway, in divine protection, those who are with us more than those who are with us with them. We need to believe this and live with our spiritual eyes open. The angelic hosts encamp around us to fight off the enemy. Uh-huh. So they stood behind. Elisha, the man of God, even though the Syrians were confronting them, but they were at attention, ready to be called forward at any time. Now, what do you think would have happened if Elisha hadn't ministered to that servant of his? They would have killed them all. The first person, the first horse or chariot that made a move toward the man of God would have met it. You know what I mean? So this was a mercy move on God's part. It was a teaching opportunity for the servant of the man of God. So he would understand and he would know some things. Men... So it's a package deal. God teaches us in real time in real life and real life situations. And that's why a lot of times we feel like we're never gonna make it through something or we're never gonna get this prayer answered or we're never you know, we get all because we learn about God in the living of everyday life. He has to teach us these things. And they're not it's not like the Bible is a textbook and then you take a quiz on it and you get a grade. You're graded in real life. Amen. And so God because this is a real life real life and death situation with us every day and serving God. So the angelic hosts were compassed to fight off the enemy. They always surround us. Amen what we have to do is number one believe God just believe his word don't let your mind talk you out of believing that you have protection against the enemy and number two obey God's leading no matter how treacherous it might seem sometimes. just obey his leading And do not abide in fear. In fact, don't abide in any of the fruit of the flesh, but abide in the Spirit. Amen. Let the Spirit of God encompass you, overtake you, and help you. We may think the flesh is exciting sometimes, but come out the flesh and see, <laughs> see what the real saints of God live like, amen? So we, we, we have to know that, amen? So, okay, so divine strategy is the next one, amen? you will turn to the book of Joshua in chapter 2, hmm. You have to have understanding of how spiritual things work. You know, we, cannot, we can no longer be people of Christian cliché. You know, we know what word to say, blessed and highly favored. Then there's another era you go into and the next buzzword and the next buzzword. Blessed and not stressed, or uh, I don't know what they're saying these days. But anyway, you know, it's always some Christian jargon and Christian catchphrase that we live in. And we don't live in much knowledge, revelation, and certainly strategy. You know, all we know is God fights for us and that's all we want to know. But you have to know more than that if you're going to be able to uh, get your victory. You know, I'm not talking about surviving. And, you know, many times people will will develop faith for what they think is important. And that's the tragedy about faith and and how it operates and and really God's love for us. Because if you don't want any more of God, he's not going to force it on you. You'll have situations come up, and I think many times people get defeated by these situations where really there was a victory there for you. You can't ever say, well, I didn't know enough about God, and if I had known this, this wouldn't have happened. No, there was a place for victory there for you. You know, many times we'll find that we don't take the faith we have and invest it in God so that we get the next step. We just kind of give up on it or say it wasn't for us or we get it later. Or, you know how Israel did. Every year they were going to, oh yeah, let's go up and take this mountain. think about Joshua and, and Caleb for 40 years. They had to listen to that. Oh, let's go up and take the mount. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You guys, oh, yeah, I remember you, you guys, you, you wanted to stay. Well, let's go do it now. And nobody ever gets around to it. You got me? But God will preserve you and your faith. But those other people that didn't go up died off. Because their faith died with them. Joshua and Caleb Always believed God. And they serve God with their whole heart. But they couldn't go up because of faith lacking in other people. Got me? And so many times people will have faith for things they think are important. And I think Israel wanted faith. The majority of those people wanted faith to do exactly what they did. Just survive. Go around the mountain. Never confront any enemies. Just make it. And that's 90% of Christians, or 99 they just want a a job, I get my kids through school, well, maybe not through school, maybe give them a trade, or give them this, or get just a good job, maybe a good cashier, you know, a supervisor at Walmart one day, 20 years later. You know, it keeps diminishing and diminishing, and we never... Look at what God has and say, we got to fight for this. You know, I mean, God's got something for us, but we're going to have to fight for that thing. We can't just sit here and wait for it to come. We can't sit here and, and think it's just going to happen because we keep saying we want it. Amen. Something different is going to have to transpire. And so that's where divine strategy comes in. You have to have a strategy. You cannot go into denial. Because denial won't keep you saved. It won't keep you saved. Because eventually what you keep putting off and thinking is going to happen later or thinking God's already taken care of it and you should keep praying about it or, you know, going on and on. And I'm not going to worry about that. Well, I'm not telling you to worry. I'm telling you to get in faith and to get in expectation. And there's a difference. There's a difference when a person is in expectation and there's a difference when they're afraid to confront whatever it is that's holding things up. Mm -hmm. Many times people who are afraid to confront get restless and go to meddling in other people's business where it never fails. Because that energy that you need to be using to fight your own battles, you'll go and dip over in somebody else's beeswax with it. And it can't help you and it can't help them. Got me? So, God wants us to get a divine strategy after it's like Mary did. Remember when he told her she would give birth to a son, she said, Well how is this gonna happen? That's asking for the divine strategy. She didn't say it can't happen because oh uh, you know, like look I'm single I'm a single chick. I don't want to know love him right now. I mean I got a boyfriend over here. He seemed to be interested, you know, but he had his days, I have my days. You know, that kind of thing. She didn't go there. She asked for a strategy. That's what she was asking for. Tell me more, God. How is this going to happen? There's a real big problem holding it up. Amen? And so he gives divine strategy to everybody who's going to go to war for him. So in Joshua 2, I think it's first one, Verse 1, Joshua 2, oh I didn't even get there yet, hang on, hang on, hang on, yeah, just by talking and I talking and I talking, Joshua 2, Joshua the son of Nun was sent out to Shittim two men to spy secretly. Saying, Go view the land that is Jericho. And they went and came to a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And so Joshua's strategy begins by doing what was familiar to him. Got me? This is what got him as far as it got him. And this is our, how faith is built. We build on what we stepped out in once before, and we know it works. Amen? Now, you're not to do that with everything. There's a place where we have a confidence in God to proceed in things, but if there's no confidence in God, you don't proceed. So God, And God sometimes will allow you to do the familiar things, and if they don't work, then you got to add something to it. You got me? And so that's part of, of divine strategy is understanding that the spiritual dynamic may change, the enemy may change his strategy against us, all kinds of things can happen. To keep us from from to keep the familiar from working, and then there are times when God just says, "I want you to add to your faith now you 've been operating at that level long enough, and I want you to add something to what you 're doing it 's like sometimes people who who are good soul winners." They'll continue to win souls, and that's all they develop. They don't know how. And, and you know, if you're a soul winner and you start a church, there's going to be some people in there that want to learn how to pray for the sick, that want to learn how to pray, want to learn how to do a myriad of things. But if you only have that soul winning focus, you're going to keep them babies. You understand what I'm saying? You can tell a baby ministry from a more mature ministry a baby ministry will always be telling people how wonderful they are and how good they are and how encouraging they are and how great they are and with not imparting anything where they have fruit And root. Got me? So, uh, baby Christians have to be encouraged all the time. You know, they have to be fed, they have to be changed, they have to be a lot of things. If you're moving people on to maturity, they should be praying the first day you meet them. You should have some work for them to get involved in right away to mature them and get them beyond the baby level. Huh? And that's why many times people lose half their congregation in the baby stage. Because they're not teaching them anything to make them stronger. And, you know, sheep who are weak and who aren't real discerning can be lured easily over into another shepherd's pen. They'll just start showing them things they haven't seen before. And they, ooh, how dazzling. Look at that silver ball disco ball in the ceiling at the church I'm going to go to church with the disco ball in the ceiling you know that kind of stuff and so if you don't teach people how to be strong and how to be discerning you know they'll never be Strong <laughs> and be deserting, and that starts day one. You don't uh, you don't wait for. Oh, we got new beginners class, and we got second year class, and we got this class and that. No, mm-hmm. you don't see anything in the Book of Acts about new beginners classes. You saw where people got together and prayed because if they didn't pray, half their leadership would be in jail. You got know I me. Mean? So somebody was there telling them how to pray. And making them do it. Amen. Amen. They met every day. And they were daily under the apostles' doctrine and prayer. So people would say, well, we need revival. If you're not willing to go to bed for God every day, just save it. Can it? You know, get the next generation, see if they're sick of the world and want to <laughs> do something for God. You got me? So, I mean, it's just that way. It's, you can't be that connected to the world and love God too. So here we see Joshua sends out two spies. Well, what's different about that than what Moses did? Come on, come on. How many did Moses send? How many did Moses send? Sent twelve. How many really believe God? So you send the two that believe. You got me cut the shenanigans out so there is something you can learn from prior strategies that you transfer over so Joshua probably had two guys that didn't have a lot of opinion didn't have a lot of lip didn't have a lot of God told me <laughs> and he let God help him choose but two was enough. He saw that. Moses being the diplomat, I don't want to exclude anybody. Let me get a man from every tribe so I don't have to hear him whine about he didn't let my daddy go. You have to you have to be wise. You have to know where your trouble is. It's like I used to tell people when (laughs) ministers would come and minister. I said, "I'm going to quit inviting the devil to preach here." (laughs) You got me. Some of them worked out for a while, and then they got to be doozies, and you had to cut them loose. You know, you loved them, and you wish they could work with you still, but you have to cut them loose sometimes, just because. Amen. So, you know, you just never know what people are going to do. You have to be discerning at all times. So he told them, go view the land, Jericho. And they went, came to Rahab's house. And so she hid them there and was a help to them. They could never have gotten as much information with 12 men running around looking at everything and trying to outdo each other. You send two because they need each other for help, and two witnesses is all you need. Amen. Mouth of two or three witnesses, everything's established. So she gets them to make a covenant vow to her in verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness You will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. So this is a woman who understands covenant. She understands these people have a covenant with God. And she's asking them for something to hold on to and cash in. So when trouble comes to her house or somebody tries to kill, no, look, I did what they, this is a token from your boss. He told me if I had this hall pass to get out of here alive with all my family, then I would escape death. Amen. And so that's what she did, and they gave her a scarlet thread to put into the widow, to the window and they honored that scarlet thread when they came back to take the city. Now here's a step that was step one of the strategy. You don't go and spy out land and then don't return to capture the land. And Joshua knew better than that. He said, now we haven't been here before. We haven't been in the spy stage and got enough understanding of what's going on. Spying out the land for for Israel at this point entailed... A little bit more than it did spying out the promised land. Where they saw land flowing with milk and honey. They saw uh, uh, grapes that they had to carry back between uh, two beans on, on their shoulders. Two men had to carry it on their shoulders. They were so huge. It was a land that really took care of itself. Everything grew of its own accord. And that was all they were supposed to see. But they stayed too long and started magnifying the size of the enemy in their own eyes so you study something too long like you, you have a long standing illness or symptoms in your body and you spend more time focusing on how you feel how whether your symptoms are decreasing or increasing and You'll be overwhelmed with the size of the problem. If you will magnify the word of God and hit that thing with the word continually, continually thank God that I'm healed. I thank you, Father, for healing me. Thank you, Lord. I believe I received my healing when I prayed three months ago, two years ago, three years ago, ten years ago, whatever it is, I believe I received it then, and I expect that thing to leave me in Jesus' name. leaving the expectation of it leaving, not getting worse. Amen? You know, it's easy to flip over. To expectation of good, it's not that hard. It's change of thoughts. They quit the way you think about it, and think something in line with God's word. And so the enemy, when he's magnified, will stop you from carrying through the strategy. You can have a good strategy for God. Have all kind of confidence. You can conquer this thing, and then go back the same old, same old. Just forget forget that whole experience you <laughs> just had with God, and go back into the camp you came from, where people talk more of the natural. You know what they see, what they hear, what CNN says, what MSNBC says, what anybody. You, you got me. Just reinforcing what they hear continually. And so it's important. That's why Jesus warned us, be careful how you hear and be careful what you hear, what you let your ears feast on, what you what you let your heart believe, what you let sink into your, your being. Be careful about that stuff. That's where the war is really won or lost inside of you, what you take in, what you believe and what you want to experience out of life. So it's just that way. So then Joshua, after he gets despised, he still has to go before the Lord. Amen. God instructs them to circumcise everybody. And you think, Man, we gotta go to war, we gotta fight and now gotta have surgery first. Seriously, God <laughs> But he did because they had not been they're, they're not in covenant with God. You don't go into war with casualties already. They would have been all killed if they hadn't stopped to circumcise them. Because that was a sign of the covenant. You're never too much in a hurry not to establish your covenant with God. Got me? Things that you need to take care of that make it right between you and God. Never be in so much of a hurry you don't take care of those things. So he circumcised them all. They encamped at Gilgal. They kept the Passover. All of these things they did. Now, in if you go to chapter five and verse four, eleven, I'm sorry. They did eat. I'm, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day, and the manna ceased that morning. There are certain things that God will put in your life that used to take care of you. It's time to grow up and start fending for yourself. Manna ceasing means God's provision without any of your effort has ceased. So manna (laughs) is like, you know how you're, (coughs) when you start... Uh, feeding babies their baby food and they take that spoon out of your mouth and And sometimes you take it back because you don't like messy you want neat let that baby out of his because he wants to get fed, and you ain't going fast enough or something, but he's getting the hang of it, right, which is what all parents want. They want the baby to get the hang of it. One day you sit there and say, I'm tired of feeding you. You need to feed yourself. And he probably hears it a little bit. He knows what's going on because he wants the same thing. And so we we start the, uh, the fight over independence versus dependence. Amen. And many times we want to stay on baby level with God. And he's trying to get us... Independence does much more for you. It may be a little hard to get, get used to at first, but you get to make your own choices. Huh? Well, think about it. If you used to sit up there and eat baby food all the time, they start introducing you to other stuff, you can pick and choose now if you use your own little fingers to do it. So then God is allowing us, as we grow, to kind of carve out our own destiny. You want that. Because you want choices. You don't want to feel like some kind of robot, like you can only take what God has for you, and you can never say, God, I want this or I want that. You know, not that that ever stops us, but, you know, sometimes we need to uh, start showing more independence, more strength. You know, the time where you, you think somebody ought to pray for you all the time, you find out you need to be praying for other people. Me and that's all new to you. You think, "Oh wow, I can pray for somebody else." And Duh. Huh? And so it's it, it, it's a growing thing. It's a maturing thing. So the old man has stop, which means that they're going to move on. This is a graduation ceremony for them. The Manna ceased after they'd eaten the old corn of the land. Neither did the children of Israel have manna anymore because they began to eat the fruit of the land of Canaan. That's progress, folks. They're getting ready to cross over. and it can, And that's a sign. You know, when one thing dries up, that's a sign. Not that God don't love you no more but that it's time to graduate onto something more that he has for us. Amen. The next thing, we always say something better. I don't know if it's better or not. It's a matter of opinion. It may be, but it's better as far as where you're going with God. It's progress. That's what it is. You know, it's a progress thing. And so uh, uh, they began to prosper. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said, "Are you for us, or for our adversaries?" And he said, "Neither, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. So as I ain't working for you." You work for me. And I mean, don't get it twisted, Joshua. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and say to him, What what, what are you going to say to your servant? The captain of the Lord's host says, Loose your shoe, shoes from your foot for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua is in a position. Now this, this man that he sees takes himself out of being an ordinary man. He has to elevate himself to the place of authority where God has placed him for Israel. So this is God fights for you by sending you help. Amen. Sending you help in the form of an angel who gives you counsel. Some people think this is Christ, pre-incarnate Christ. You'll see these pictures pop up all over the Old Testament. And so Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. Nobody went out and nobody came in. And you'll see the next point of strategy that God gives them. He gives them detailed instruction on how to fight the enemy. Because they are going to take the city now. So this is final instruction. Everything else was preliminary. They went and, and sent spies and got information about Jericho. Circumcised themselves, sanctifying themselves unto the Lord. They're preparing. They've eaten their last meal of the old revelation that they had. So they're moving into a new revelation. Amen. Adding to what they have. And so he says, uh, um, um, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given into your hand Jericho and the king thereof and all the mighty fighting men. So God is saying nobody is going to be able to stand against you. Got me? I've given you the city. I've given you the king. And I've given you his army. So what more do you want, Joshua? I mean, there ain't nothing else to get. Whenever God gives you victory, it is complete and it is full. And it is for all the marbles that are on the the ground at that time. So you get everything. Everything that you're fighting for. If you're fighting for your bills to be paid, all those bills will be paid and they will all be paid on time. Yeah, I mean, if you're fighting for your children to be delivered, they will be delivered and they will worship and serve the Lord. No in between nonsense here. And so we have to we have to believe God like that for a full, complete job. He says, You shall come compass the city, all you men of war, and go round the city about the city once. And that will you do six days. So one lap around the city every day for six days the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns and the seventh day you shall go around the city seven times in one day Men? and and the priest shall blow with the trumpets And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Amen. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Covenant, Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Pass on compass the city. Let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it shall come to pass when Joshua and it came to pass when Joshua has spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them and the armed men went before the priests. That blew with the trumpets. And the rear guard came up after the ark. The priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people already. You shall not shout. Nor make any noise with your voice. Because I'm sick of y'all whining. I've been listening to y'all whining for 40 years. Shut up till I tell you to talk. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until I tell you. So shut up till I tell you to speak. And then you shall shout. <laughs> well, the how many times have you been in church? You got people to shout from the time they walk in there to the time they go out. You got me? So that little shouting thing gets out. it got out of hand back then. It'll get out of hand now. It's the same people that have been in the church for all them years are still here. <laughs> Them crazy shouting people. Huh? Or jump out their skin and interrupt the preaching. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, it's okay. You can do what you want to do during worship. You know what I'm saying? Dance before the Lord with all your might. But there's an appropriate time for everything. So it was very important. And Joshua had seen the damage that uncontrolled words can do to a nation of people. He's seen it kill people off. He's seen words kill them. And that's exactly what had happened to all of my, all the boys he grew up with. This is like, you know, when, uh, uh, like when in my generation, when we would go to a class reunion. We couldn't re- figure out for a long time, why, why don't we have more people at the class? Well, they've been all killed in Vietnam. You know what I'm saying? They never got married, so you didn't see spouses and families with them, that kind of stuff. And so there's a reason why people are missing. Amen? And so in Joshua's generation, it was their bad confession that got them missing. So he told them, don't let any word come out of your mouth until I tell you. What would happen oftentimes is people would get into battle array and begin to voice their fear. That's why they would say, let the fearful and the faint-hearted stay home. Because you'll infect everybody with your fear. Because fearful people don't know how to shut up. When you're in fear, you don't know how to close your mouth. Nobody does very well. And so he tells them, this is a discipline you'll have to learn when you're, you're um, working for God. You know, discretion will keep you. It'll keep you life. It'll keep you healthy. It'll keep your mind. It'll keep everything. Learn how to be discreet and not so verbal. Amen. People talk to get attention many times. They want to tell what they know. It's not always the time for that. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city. Going about it once, they came to camp, lodged in the camp. So they just walk around. The people in the city are looking out, and they gone for the day. <laughs> so by day six, some people are really confused. So they're thinking on day seven, ah, going to go around and go back home like they did. The first six days. Amen. So the priests bearing ram horns began to blow the trumpets. Verse 14, the second day they did the same thing. 15, it came to pass on the seventh day, at the dawning of the day, they compassed the same manner seven times. Only that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, mm-hmm. only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all the people who are in the house with her, amen, that little last part, people need to pay attention to the whole thing because somebody either didn't listen or disobeyed and took some stuff, took of the accursed thing. Amen He says And you shall in any wise Keep yourselves from the accursed thing Like you make yourself accursed to Amen And so of course that happened Amen All the silver and gold They belong to the Lord and they become to the treasury house of the Lord. So, really, God, from beginning to end, is getting His people back, getting His stuff back, getting His earth back. He's not going to quit till it all comes back. The devil's not going to keep charge of stuff forever. Amen. Because God fights. If He can find somebody courageous enough to step out in His name. He will do great and mighty things in the earth. Amen. So we'll finish this up tomorrow. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for divine strategy. Divine fulfillment of your promises, your covenant promises to us. Lord, we thank you for choosing us, that you would impart this knowledge to us and this understanding to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.